The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Stocks are tracking for another day of losses as recent rally takes a pause. Futures are facing pressure. Investors also gearing up for the big September jobs report, where we weigh what it could mean for the Fed and interest rates ahead of next month's policy decision. And call it a win for Team Musk as the judge overseeing his trial against Twitter issues a temporary stay so both sides can get a deal done. But Twitter isn't taking the news so well. We'll get to that. Plus, shares of AMD sinking this morning as macro headwinds for the sector continue to grow. And later, hot stocks surging on some new policy moves from President Biden. It is Friday, October 7, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in from Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's kick things off with a check on U.S. stock futures after the Dow, S&P and Nasdaq all turned in a second straight day of losses. Volatility this week, that's been the name of the game. Right now, Dow Jones Industrial indicating a higher move by nine points. Nasdaq is lower, uh, down about 43 points, so clearly doing worse than the other major averages. That is because of the weakness we are seeing in semiconductors. We will get to that in a little bit. Stocks still remain on pace for their best week, though, since June 24th. Also, take a look at the bond market, which has really been driving what's happening in the equity market. We've been seeing some cool off there. The two-year note, though, still above 4% at 4.26. The 10-year yield at 3.8%. In the energy market, oil has been moving higher after that decision from OPEC right now, holding on to $88.94 for WTI crude. Brent crude, the international gauge, above $94 at this hour. In cryptocurrencies, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether move right now. Let's take a quick check on cryptocurrencies. We're down across the board. Bitcoin below 20,000 once again. Ether at uh, 13.56 for Ether. Around the world we go. Red arrows overnight in Asia. You can see India, Thailand, Malaysia all trading lower and weaker for the week as well. A long market holiday there. Taking a look at early trade in Europe. Quick check on how things stand there as we await for the jobs report here in the U.S. Slightly higher for the U.K. and France uh, and lower in Germany, but basically flat on the day. Let's turn now to our top story and the judge overseeing the legal battle between Elon Musk and Twitter postponing today's trial. Silvana Hanai is here with that story. Silvana, big story this morning. Yeah, Seema, lots going on. So Listen to this. So in a surprise move, a Delaware judge late yesterday ordering a temporary halt to Twitter's lawsuit against Elon Musk, postponing today's trial in what's being seen as a victory for Team Musk. But the ruling does come with some strings attached. Now, in the order, the judge says Musk must close the deal by October 28th at 5 p.m. Eastern time or face a November trial. Earlier in the day, Musk's legal team had asked Twitter to completely end all litigation in order to close the deal, a request Twitter refused to accept. From Team Musk, quote, 
Twitter will not take yes for an answer. Astonishingly, they have insisted on proceeding with this litigation, recklessly putting the deal at risk and gambling with their stockholders' interest, unquote. Now, in response, Twitter says, in part, quote, on the eve of trial, defendants declare they intend to close after all. Trust us, they say. We mean it this time. Musk's proposal is an invitation to further mischief and delay, Seema. So lots of drama going on. A stock to watch, as always. Silvana, thank you. We'll see you soon. To another developing story and a big money mover, that's Credit Suisse making more moves to reassure shareholders and clients. Juliana Tattlebaum joins us from London with a story here. Juliana. Seema, good morning. Well, the twists and turns continue for Credit Suisse. This morning, the stock is trading at the top of the stock 600. We're up 5.5%. Moody's says it now expects Credit Suisse to suffer a total loss of $3 billion by the end of the year. An analyst from the ratings agency said the move could bring the embattled Swiss lender's core capital below the 13% level. Now, this comes as Credit Suisse announced it will buy back up to 3 billion Swiss francs worth of senior debt securities, saying it was taking advantage of market conditions. Shares in Credit Suisse have slumped in recent weeks amid concerns over over its capital position. And here is the uh, longer-term chart here for Credit Suisse. As you can see, it has come a long way, and the volatility continues, Sima. This is one of the biggest banks in Europe. What is next for Credit Suisse beyond this bond buyback? So, Seema, Credit Suisse has been embarking on this massive strategic review. The company has faced scandal after scandal over the last several years, incredibly wide-ranging. They've had a number of changes at the top. And now the lender has come out and said, we're going to give you all the detail around our strategic review, what we plan to do with our investment banking unit. Um, That strategic update is due on October 27th when the earnings are due out. Now, there has been pressure, of course, for them to come out with something sooner. But if you're going to put one date in your calendar, Seema, it's October 27th. I just added it. Uh, Juliana, thank you. Juliana (laughs) Tattlebaum with the latest on Credit Suisse. And back to the broader markets we go as Wall Street awaits the September jobs report out this morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. This on the heels of what has been a volatile week for stocks and the onslaught of hawkish comments from Federal Reserve officials. For more, let's talk with Rich with Rick Petcairn, uh, Chief Investment Officer at Petcairn. It's great to see you, Rick. What are you expecting in today's jobs report? Well, I know. Uh, good morning. How are you? It's great to be here. I know the Fed wants to see some slack in this labor market. So, you know, it's one of these weird times where, you know, bad news for the economy is sort of good news for the Fed as they're really trying to drain uh, some of the heat out of this market and some of the heat out of inflation. What do you make of the market action this week? We started the new new month higher for two days. Big moves. Nasdaq seen gains of two to three percent on Monday and Tuesday. Last two days, we've been sort of losing steam. Is this just some trepidation ahead of today's report or something else moving markets? Well, we're lucky at Pitcairn. We serve families that have a very long term view. And, you know, this is a tricky time because really the only good news is long term. You know, we see some bounce in this market when you have sentiment get to extremes like it got to last week. You can see a bounce back. But what we don't see is just that big ripping V-shaped recovery that we're so used to over the last five and 10 years. We think it's going to take longer this time. You do say in your notes that October could be the month we start to see downward corporate earnings revisions. Explain where exactly you're expecting to see that. Well, if you look at July, you know, we're, we're looking at the streets looking for about a 
seven percentish year over year earnings growth to the market, and it's and we're possibly rolling into a recession. So those things don't meet up that well. And the rally that we had in the middle of July was because the street was really looking for those earnings to come down off the second quarter reports. That didn't happen, uh, but we believe that. October will show that weakness, and we'll, we'll see some of that coming through this month. But, Rick, couldn't you argue that we're already starting to see those revisions? Just last night, AMD, a major semiconductor company, revising down its third quarter sales outlook. I mean, there are companies that are already saying we cannot meet the expectations that we put out three months ago. Exactly. I think that's the canary in the coal mine. We're going to see more of that this month as earnings expectations sort of line up with the rest of economic expectations. And that really doesn't set the foundation for a ripping bull market. I think it's going to be tougher than that. So would you be selling stocks right now, hold and wait out, wait out the volatility? What's what's the, the advice to investors watching right now? It's a really tough year. We're dealing with inflation really for the first time since the 70s. And I think what investors ought to think about is keeping a long term. Now, we don't think the Fed pivots anytime soon. But make no mistake, if the Fed did pivot tomorrow, if Jerome Powell says we've reconsidered and we think we've done enough to tackle inflation in the short term, the market will rip upwards. So I don't think it's a time to take extreme moves. I think it's a time to stick with your plan, make sure that you have a risk profile that fits with your longer term goals and go through this volatility in a way that doesn't take too much risk against trying to time it day to day because it's just too volatile. And I didn't hear you mention bonds. I mean, you're getting some nice yields on the on the short term, longer term dated bonds. Is this a time to jump in? For short term cash, we're seeing some investors that want to take advantage of you know, a, a three and a half, um, uh, 3.9% treasury. We haven't seen that in, in, in quite a while in the marketplace. I think there will continue to be upward pressure on rates. So that I think, you know, we're sitting here at uh, really 20% down in the bond markets on a year-to-date basis. That rarely happens. Uh, I wouldn't be trying to time the extreme parts of this market with the kind of volatility we have in, in high yield. Uh, but I do think for short-term money, there's some attractive rates out there right now. Okay, we'll leave it there. Rick, great to see you today. Have a great morning, Rick Pitt, Karen. Thank you. And when we come back, much ahead on today's job support, what a beat, match, or miss could mean for Fed Chair Jay Powell's next move. Plus, China EV giant looking to make its push into the West, and its first stop is Europe. Is this a potential competitor to Tesla? We'll get into that in today's big money movers and why shares of AMD are once again taking a hit on the chin. We're down 5% in pre-market. Worldwide exchange back in two. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Time now for your big money movers. Shares of AMD under pressure ahead of the open. The chipmaker issuing preliminary third quarter results after the close yesterday, well below its initial guidance. AMD now expects quarterly sales of $5.6 billion, down from an earlier $6.7 billion estimate. AMD says the shortfall is due to a combination of weaker-than-expected PC market demand and significant inventory correction actions across the entire PC supply chain. Shares down 4.7%. The news also also hitting the entire semi-sector hard industry peers like NVIDIA, which warned back in August, Intel, among others, all trading lower in the pre-market action. Let's, uh, let's pivot here. Shares of DraftKings popping on a report. It is close to signing an executive partnership with Disney's ESPN. The terms of the deal are not yet public, but the report says ESPN is seeking $3 billion over a set time period that would, quote, lead to a sports book rebranding itself with the ESPN name. However, our own Contessa Brewer says, according to a highly placed source, there is no truth to the report. Stock's still up about 8% in pre-market. And let's talk retail. Shares of Levi Strauss are lower in the pre-market after reporting mixed results uh, after the close yesterday that saw sales fall short of estimates. The company also reducing its annual forecast for revenue and earnings due to what it calls, quote, significant incremental currency headwinds from the stronger U.S. dollar, as well as cautious macroeconomic conditions and ongoing supply chain disruptions. It could potentially be a trend we see over the coming weeks. All right, still on deck. Talk about lighting up a sector. What President Biden just said that's sending pot stocks surging. Today's big number, $81 billion. That was the total U.S. mutual fund and ETF outflows in September, according to data by ICI Fund Flows. That's the second highest month of the year for redemptions behind April. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. While companies like Tesla, Ford, and more bet big on China, their EV rivals in that country are looking west, with companies like NIO, BYD, and Xpeng making their push into new markets to drive sales. Our Eunice Yun joins us now from Beijing. Eunice. Thanks so much, Simo. And today it's all about NIO. About seven hours from now in Berlin, NIO is going to be announcing a deeper push into Europe. The company's executives are expected to be at a marketing event where they're going to unveil pricing and leasing terms for models such as the ET7, which is a competitor for Tesla's Model S. Uh, This would be for Germany, the Netherlands, Sweden, and Denmark. Founder William Lee told me why at their first European market, Norway. China is, of course, the largest single premium car market, accounting for 40 percent. Europe and the U.S. combined account for another 50 percent. And for us, we would like to be competitive globally, so we want to enter the overseas markets, including Europe and the U.S. 
China came to dominate the EV market with a jump start from the government. Uh, back in 2015, Beijing unveiled what was called the Made in China 2025 strategy, which was meant to pump up the EV market as well as other high-tech industries by uh, 2025. So they directed tens of billions of dollars in subsidies. And the first few years were a bit slow going. Uh, not a whole lot of sales, a lot of waste, but in 2020, EV adoption really ramped up, and this came also with the entry of Tesla's Shanghai production. Now, a lot of people, uh, analysts say this is the Tesla effect, uh, where there's a switch in the consumer mindset, and EVs became cool and are now forecast to reach $6 million this year. Now, the Chinese government continues to try to encourage EV adoption in China, uh, uh, for people to switch, extending its subsidies program, which at one point looked like it was going to go away, uh, demanding one standard for charging and mandating chargers at residential buildings as well as other infrastructure. In fact, last month, EVs accounted for nearly one out of every three passenger vehicle sales in China. So a very sound footing, Sima, for Chinese companies like NIO to uh, look overseas. Pretty incredible. And Lee did say that they're looking at the U.S. Uh, any plans to expand here and will they be allowed in? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of other Chinese EV makers uh, seem to kind of shy away from talking about the U.S., saying that, OK, this is going to be a much more longer term project. However, uh, Lee said that he's been having more frequent conversations with his U.S. team. He said that they're talking on a weekly basis and that uh, with the Inflation Reduction Act, he said that that was a real game changer. And now they're looking at their longer term strategy based on uh, the contents of the act. All right. Well, NEO itself down about 17 percent over the past month, the stock price itself. But watching for its innovation there and overseas. Uh, Unision, great to see you today. Unision live for us in Beijing. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mana in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Seema. Good morning. A stark new warning from the president of the United States when it comes to the threat of nuclear war. Speaking last night in New York City, President Biden said the risk of nuclear Armageddon is the highest that it's been in roughly 60 years since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. It all stems from Russia's failing invasion of Ukraine. There's been widespread concern that Russian President Vladimir Putin could use a weapon of mass destruction to regain some footing in the war. Las Vegas police have identified the suspect in a stabbing spree that left two dead and six others injured. 32-year-old Ioni Berrios was booked on two counts of open murder with a deadly weapon and six counts of attempted murder. The rampage happened in front of the Wynn Casino on the famous Las Vegas Strip. Three of the six are in critical condition. In Denver last night, the Broncos and Colts kicked off week five in the NFL. Not a lot of offense. Neither team found the end zone. The Colts booted field goals at the end of regulation and at the start of overtime to take the lead. One last shot here for Denver. But Russell Wilson can't thread the pass in. Indy wins an ugly one, 12-9. to That's it from here, Seema. Send it back to you. Philip, thank you. Great to see you. You too. Straight ahead on the show, five years later, and Elon Musk says Tesla's full electric semi-truck is finally ready for delivery. We've got the full story ahead. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Stocks are looking to wrap up their best week in roughly three months and with plenty of whipsaw trading. 
futures. We are flat, but gaining a bit of momentum here at this hour. And the lack of movement, though, coming as investors brace for the monthly jobs report. What that number could ultimately mean for the Federal Reserve's path forward on its rate hike strategy. And yet another twist in the Elon Musk Twitter takeover saga as the social platform accuses the CEO of Tesla of mischief and delay in his revived $44 billion bid. It is Friday, October 7th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi and for Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us. Let's get a check on how markets look on the final trading day of the week. Futures, uh, we're building a little bit of momentum here. We started the day, started the hour down up about four points and the Dow you can see now up 55. NASDAQ uh, also now down just about 26 points in pre-market. S&P 500 basically flat. Stocks remain on pace, though, for their best week since June 24th. Uh, a lot of volatility, though, over the last two days. Part of it has to do with the direction of yields. Take a look at what we're seeing in the bond market right now. Uh, the 10-year yield still at 3.84%, and the two-year note, uh, well above 4% at 4.26%. So we're seeing yields actually move higher right now. Let's hit oil. A lot of movement there after the OPEC decision with WTI crude trading once again higher by a half a percent at $88.89. Brent crude at 94. Speaking of energy, because of the big moves in the oil market, the sector is the only one that ended yesterday in positive territory it is on pace for its best weekly gain since November of 2020. Take a look at that. Some of the biggest gainers, Marathon, APA, Halliburton and Devon, has all up, as you can see here, over 20% just this week. So some big moves in energy once again. And plus there's Exxon. While not up as much as the broader market, it's still up about 17% this week and on pace for its biggest weekly gain since October of 1974. So that OPEC decision clearly fueling markets here. Let's get a check on some of the other morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is here with that. Silvana, good morning. Good morning, Seema. Well, the cannabis industry and investors in those companies applauding President Biden's decision to pardon thousands of people convicted of marijuana possession. Canopy Growth telling CNBC the action by the White House represents, quote, an acknowledgement that cannabis prohibition has failed and that too many lives have been significantly impacted as a result. Shares of the Canadian-based cannabis company, the world's largest, surging 22 percent, following the announcement and climbing further in extended trading, a similar story for other pot stocks gaining more than 30 percent in some cases. Now, the world's largest crypto exchange being hit with a hack, Binance revealing that $100 million was likely stolen as a result of a breach of its Binance smart chain blockchain network. The network temporarily suspending transactions and fund transfer after the exploit was detected. Binance's CEO taking to Twitter to reveal the issue is contained and that customer funds are safe. And Tesla moving forward with its First, all-electric semi-trailer truck. CEO Elon Musk revealing the company plans to deliver the vehicle to PepsiCo in December, roughly five years after he unveiled the truck. It was initially set to be released in 2019. Musk reiterating the truck would be able to travel 500 miles on a single charge, as was initially touted. No word on how many trucks Tesla plans to deliver to Pepsi Sema. I'm excited to see these on the road. I am, too. I'm with you. Silvana, thank you. You got it. 
Now to our top story and the highly anticipated jobs report out later this morning. Economists expecting employers to add 275,000 jobs last month and the unemployment rate to hold steady at 3.7 percent. Joining me now is Amy Glazer, senior vice president at Adeco, a global staffing firm. And Amy, uh, the latest data shows that that hirings have uh, slowed down. We've also seen jobless claims tick up. So the data is pointing to a labor market that is slowing. The question is, to what extent? Yeah, good morning, Seema. I think it's still a candidate-driven market. Although we have seen a reduction in job openings, there's still 1.67 jobs out there for every unemployed person. So we're still seeing the candidates take the lead in today's market. When I look at the August jobs report and look at which sectors were hiring the most, uh, it was retail. Hospitality also played a leading role, as it has since the pandemic. Uh, But technology, some big losses there. Yeah, you know, despite a lot of recent large announcements of layoffs, we're frankly not seeing it in the day-to-day on the ground with our clients. What we're really seeing is more of a rebalance. You know, that labor market has been so white hot for the past few years. We're just seeing it stabilize and return to a sustainable normal hiring pace. The great resignation that really took hold, uh, you know, towards the height of the pandemic, has that slowed down? Do you think people are thinking twice about resigning, given that they're now we're now potentially entering a, a true recession? You know, I think we're seeing um, maybe a tiny bit of concern. We recently published a 2022 global workforce survey to DECO, and we're finding that the majority of workers are concerned about wages not keeping up with inflation. One of the interesting trends that we are seeing is this openness to a second job opportunity. In fact, we're seeing that three out of every five non-desk workers are actively seeking a secondary job. And as we're approaching the seasonal hiring frenzy um, going into quarter four, I think it may be a positive news for some employers. Wow, a second job. What does that tell you? Is that because people are are worried about inflation and budgets uh, going into an uncertain period in this economy or that they're just finding more opportunities? I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, there's obviously still concern about about wages being able to keep up with the pace of inflation. And I'm seeing that portray in the market today. Wage growth has been an area of concern. What are you expecting there? I still see significant gains in wage growth. You know, a couple of years ago, we were seeing employees, employers announce, especially in the non-desk workspace, $15 an hour. And I saw a major employer announce earlier this week they were anticipating up to $30 an hour for an hourly worker. In the past, workers, you know, the wages have started with the number one. And we're seeing that the real sweet spot this year is going to start with the number two. In your survey, you talk about quit influencers, that they're threatening a mass exit contagion. Uh, Overall, about 52 percent of U.S. workers admitting they are seeing colleagues resign. Uh, We we got to this a little bit, but can this trend continue? You know, I think it, it probably will continue. So it's very important for employers right now to really focus on the overall well-being of their employees. We're seeing that those that are highly engaged are more likely to stick with the with their employer. So the focus continues to be on the worker themselves. Great stuff. Amy Glazer, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Now, today's jobs report set to be one of the major economic data points ahead of the Federal Reserve's next policy decision set for the first week of November. This as we continue to track the benchmark 10-year yield coming off a wild few days of trading where it briefly crossed above 4 percent, right now trading at 3.84 percent. Joining me now is Priya Misra, head of global rate strategy at TD Securities. And Priya, 
to what extent do you think the Fed could actually change its rate hiking strategy based on today's report? So I think actually today's report, as important as, as the jobs number is, I think actually today's report is less important for that November meeting, perhaps even the December meeting, because the Fed is on a mission. They really have to get inflation back down. The inflation numbers are high. Now, we do get the CPI report next week. I think that's important, but I don't think the Fed's even going to take one week number and actually start to slow down the pace of hikes. I think, you know, they really want to get into restrictive territory. They want to keep inflation expectations uh, anchored. So we think they're going 75. I think the question is that endpoint. They've been communicating four and a half to five percent endpoint of the hiking cycle. I think that's fair. I think the market's going to get really nervous if there's a weakening today because that means that you know we we're still responding to rate hikes. I would say six months ago because there's a lag in terms of when interest rates impact the economy. So the market may be concerned about future growth prospects, but I think for the Fed, even if it, you know whatever is the number today, I think they're going 75 and they're communicating. That they still have a long way to go before they can slow that inflation number down. But getting to today's report, economists are expecting the unemployment rate to hold steady at 3.7 percent after spiking from 3.5 to 3.7 in the August report. If that moves even higher, you're saying the Fed will even overlook that? I think they will, but it really it's important to see why it's going up. So the last uh, report where it went up, as you said, was largely driven by people re-entering the labor force. That's actually great news for the Fed because then that keeps inflation expectations slightly uh, anchored. That keeps wages somewhat lower. If people re-enter, I think that's actually a very risk-positive uh, outcome. If it rises because the pace of, of uh, job growth has slowed down, I think then the market's going to be, get really concerned. I think we should see more inversion in the curve because that means that the economy slows down much more next year as these rate hikes also impact. But I think for the Fed, even if it is a rise in the unemployment rate for bad reasons, meaning a slowing in job growth, I think they're actually the intended consequence of tighter policies to slow things down. We're coming off really red hot levels. So I think they're actually going to look at it and say, this is kind of what we want, uh, a slowing uh, in the labor market. Yeah, no, and Powell has alluded to that before, not in not just Jackson Hole, but in other conferences and speeches as well. What could this job support, Priya, tell us about the CPI, the inflation report due next week? Sure. So what I'll be watching for is that how, how widespread is... Uh, are the job gains. So if it's across the board, I think that actually tells us that, you know, that, that the labor market is still strong, that people can still afford to pay for these high prices. The other thing I'll be watching is participation. Is there a rise in the participation rate? Is, you know, if, if more people are entering the labor force, I think that gives some, uh, that relieves a little bit of pressure on the Fed. And then I'll be watching that, that wages number, um, you know, are those, uh, is that rising? I think any sign that wage pressures are rising actually is going to be very concerning for the Fed. That means they may have to go more than that four and a half to five percent that they're indicating. So there's still a lot in the labor market really for the Fed to see our high prices that we're seeing in CPI. Is that showing up in wages? Any sign of a wage price spiral? I think that's going to concern the Fed. And, you know, they're doing QT, they're raising rates, but we really don't know how much uh, they'll have to raise rates to get inflation down. The 70s is a poor example, I think, because they'd have to raise rates a lot more. But I think that's really the, the the tension for the Fed. How much do they have to tighten to get inflation back under and, control? And of course, it doesn't help that oil is now spac spiking back above $90 a barrel for Brent crude based on the OPEC decision today. That certainly makes it harder to uh, to say that inflation has peaked, right? 
Exactly. I, I think oil prices moving up. The fact that it's a you know rents. Um, I know that the high frequency indicator for rents is slowing, but it's a very lagging indicator. CPI of housing is uh, is is very lagging to home prices, and we know that the housing market was very strong last year. So that's a big chunk of inflation, and we think housing inflation stay can you know continues to move higher. CPI in general, I would say, is such a lagging indicator that the Fed is laser focused on it, and we're not really seeing signs of slowing down, which means that they have to inflict sort of, as as Chair Powell said, pain on the mm. economy, pain on financial conditions before they can really control inflation. I think you like owning very front-end bonds for uh, liquidity and, and the 10-year Treasury. Well, what, what's the trade here for investors? Sure. So I like this barbell approach. I think, you know, we are seeing a less liquid market. And when, when I see liquidity impaired, then I worry about accidents, financial accidents. You look at the UK. I mean, we're getting really large moves there. So I would say having liquid assets so you don't have to sell your assets or you can, you know, have, have a little bit of staying power. So that's what I think that front end. And cash is giving you good yield at, at this point. I mean, it's less than inflation, but you're getting 3 4% in cash. So I think owning very front end, less than one-year paper. And then I like owning the long end. I think what's happened is as we've priced in um, a, a Fed that's on a mission here to keep raising rates, the long end has also risen. But we know the economy is going to slow down next year. And I actually think when they start to cut rates, and perhaps that's a 24 issue, 2024 or 25, they're going to have to cut rates a lot more. So I think owning the long end for recession protection in, in treasuries, you know, I, I won't even go into credit because I think credit spreads are still vulnerable. But I think treasury market is coming back to giving value as, as a hedge uh, for, uh, for risk assets. Great stuff. Makes sense. Priya, thank you. Priya, Mr. of TD Securities. Coming up, much more on that developing story around Elon Musk's renewed bid for the take Twitter private and flaring tensions in the courtroom amid the push to get that deal done. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Amazon apparently pulling the plug on live tests of its scout delivery robot. According to reports, the e-commerce giant making a move after the program did not completely meet its customers' needs. Amazon started testing the robot in Washington state in 2019 before expanding to Southern California, Georgia, and Tennessee. Netflix planning to release the sequel to the popular film Knives Out on the big screen. The company will screen Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, in hundreds of theaters around Thanksgiving, one month before it debuts on the streaming platform. And Belarus making an unusual move to take a bite out of inflation by outright banning increases on consumer prices. State media reports Belarus's president, Alexander Lukashenko, said Thursday, quote, from today, any price increase is prohibited. Prohibited! See if that ever happens here. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a few. Welcome back. I want to draw your attention to shares of CVS Health. Shares are falling in the pre-market. This after the company said its 2024 revenue is likely to take a hit after one of its Aetna Health plans in the U.S. was downgraded. CVS says the main driver of the downgrade was a drop in the plan's rating. The company says it plans to mitigate some of the hit from through its ongoing contract diversification efforts. Stock is down 4.7 percent in pre-market. And to a developing story this morning, the judge overseeing the legal battle between Elon Musk and Twitter postponing today's trial and Twitter's lawsuit to allow a deal to get done. Arjun Karpal joins us from London. Arjun, some choice words on the both decisions from both sides. 
Absolutely, Seema. Look, what the judges said uh, that they're postponing this and a deal needs to be done by October 28. This is after Elon Musk, of course, revived the world, uh, the, the deal, but certainly a war of words ensuing between the two sides. Twitter saying that it's questioning the financing for this deal from Musk's side. Uh, it said Musk has yet to tell the banks that he wishes to proceed with this deal. They also claim that uh, Musk is refusing his contractual obligations. Now, Musk's legal team have come back saying that this trial really recklessly puts the deal at risk. Uh, he, they did claim that the lenders that originally signed up for this deal are prepared to honour their obligations and they accused Twitter of baseless speculation over the finances. A lot of, a lot of war of words here. And I think financing really seems as central to this. Where is that money coming from? Does Elon Musk have the money from the banks? And are those original high-profile backers who backed him at the start all those months ago still in it for the long run? Yeah, I believe Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, they're among the banks that originally agreed to provide about $12.5 billion uh, in debt to Elon Musk. But what are some of the other banks and financiers involved in this deal, Arjun? Yeah, remember when Elon Musk initially pledged this deal a few months ago, you heard uh, companies such as Binance, the crypto exchange, VCs like Andreessen Horowitz, uh, you had Larry Ellison all involved saying we're going to pledge money into this deal. They've been very quiet. Uh, since then uh, as well. And of course, the market environment has changed so much. We've seen a plunge in tech stocks. We've seen interest rates on the rise. Of course, what does that mean uh, for some of this debt financing in particular and whether there's going to be investor appetite from some of this more riskier uh, debt coming onto the market? Will these banks be able to shift it uh, to some of these institutions as well? There's a deal recently involving Citrix uh, being taken private. Uh, that involved a lot of debt financing and the banks involved in are still holding onto some of that debt. So clearly it's very difficult to shift some of this in the market. The market environments has changed very much. Uh, and so there are questions over the debt financing, over those original backers. And the last piece of the puzzle really as well is, will Elon Musk have to sell any more Tesla shares in order to finance this deal? If so, that of course could weigh on Tesla's stock. And will he have to put any of that up as collateral as well? So lots of questions still uh, on the financing side to be resolved by these two parties, which of course understandably have very little uh, trust in each other. As we await for a final outcome, Arjun, overnight, Twitter uh, saying that blue subscribers, paid subscribers in the U.S. can now edit their tweets. Curious what you made of that. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge uh, feature. That's something that Twitter users have been calling for for some time. Uh, it's all part, I guess, of a plan to figure out, really, how Twitter will monetize its user base, how Twitter will grow its user base. And that's a big part of this whole Elon Musk Twitter story as well. Twitter has struggled over the years to grow that user base, uh, to figure out how to monetize and diversify revenue streams beyond advertising. That's been a big struggle. And Elon Musk, we've heard him over the last few months talk about some of the things vaguely at times about what he might do with Twitter. He said his ambitions are to grow this into a company with a billion users. I was talking the other day about how he mentioned he wants Twitter to be the everything app. Of course, details very scarce on that, but we know uh, Elon Musk is an admirer of the Chinese messaging app WeChat with over a billion users. Uh, that is really much the, the everything gap. You can do everything in it, payments, book flights, book hotels, order taxis, order food uh, as well. And I think that when you think about what Elon Musk wants to do with Twitter, he wants to make it into this sort of app that can be used for everything, that can garner a billion users. But that is a significant challenge, particularly in very different markets to the one we see in China as well. Uh, so 
obviously Twitter here experimenting with a feature users have been asking for, figuring out how to monetize that. Um, but it's one step in the process. And if Elon Musk does go ahead with this deal, he's going to have a very, very big task on his hand to turn this ship around. Certainly. Stock now trading at $50 a share, still up about 12% so far this week. Uh, Arjun, great to see you. Arjun Karpal in London following technology. On deck here on Worldwide Exchange, Veritas Financial's Greg Branch laying out the trading day ahead and why he's not fully buying into the recent market rally. And throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating teammates, contributors and business leaders. As we head to break, here's Agua Media Chairman Sol Trujillo. The punchline here is that the Latino cohort generates $2.7 trillion of GDP. And when we think about the significance of labor force providing 80% of net new workplace entrants, growing consumption at 2x the rate of the rest of the economy, it's something that any investor, any executive, any person that's thinking about the sustainability of our competitiveness in this country should be aware of, think about, invest in, and catalyze. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Wall Street gearing up to close out the first week of the quarter. Quarter. Here's what's ahead on the agenda. At 8.30 a.m., we will get the September employment report. Also on deck is consumer credit out at 3 p.m. We're also watching earnings from Tilray out before the bell and Apple's iPhone 14 Plus hitting store shelves today. And another busy day for the Fed. We've got a slew of speeches from officials, including Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari, who's been rather vocal in recent days, Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic, Kansas City Fed President Esther George, and New York Fed President John Williams. The monthly jobs report and how the Fed reacts to it, key for this market right now. Ahead of that report's release, let's get a check on futures. We're higher now by 69 points for the Dow Jones Industrial. S&P 500 is higher by two, and the Nasdaq has narrowed its losses, down just 22 points now in pre-market. But our next guest says growing chatter of a Fed rate pivot is too early. Let's bring in Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group. He's also a CNBC contributor. Greg, good morning. Morning. The, the S&P 500 just this week, Greg, has gained 4.4%. What do you think is behind this rebound in stocks? Is it the prospect of a potential Fed pivot or something else? Seema, it is eerily similar to what we saw in July of uh, the market following the narrative it wants instead of the narrative that the data is laying out. And so, yes, there has been increasing talk of a Fed pivot once again, just like we saw in the summer. And of course, at some point they will, but between here and there, there's a lot of pain and a lot of uh, work that they're going to do. And they are all now on the same page. You'll hear from Neil again today that inflation is their foremost priority and that they see a necessary 4.5 Fed funds rate or something north of that which implies more hikes this year. I think the market is just now starting to digest that, uh, that we'll probably get one in November, we'll probably get one in December. And so I don't think we've seen the bottom for 2022 yet, particularly as we're really in the early stages of quantitative tightening, particularly as fourth quarter earnings at 2023 earnings remain too high and need to go a similar downward revision cycle as we saw for the third quarter. 
Okay. And so all of that, all of that, I think, will, will provide headwinds in, in the coming weeks. S&P 500 right now, Greg, is trading at 37.44. What would the bottom look like to you? How much lower do we need to go? Right. So I, I made a forecast of 3,800 in January. I revised that down to 3,600 in March. I think it's around, it's, it's somewhere less than that, right? At the end of the day, I started the year thinking 220 on the S&P earnings. Uh, but, you know, it's possible, depending on what we see from the third quarter, from the companies, depending on what their narrative is, we're going to hear a lot of people continue to complain about wage growth. We're going to hear a lot of people continue to complain about the strength in the dollar and how that's going to be a drag for some of the multinationals. Uh, so I really have to see where, how low I think earnings are going to go in the fourth quarter. It's not $58. But, and so I have to take my pencil out and see what, what it's going to be. But how do you expect investors to react to today's job support? Is bad news good news for the market if this report shows that hiring has slowed down significantly, Greg, and unemployment is ticking up? How do stocks respond? Topsy to every world. From, from a sentiment perspective, if we see something less than what consensus is expecting for that 275 uh, if we see something less than that, I do think we'll get a sentiment uh, updraft in the market. Uh, it will be short-lived because at the end of the day, that still is not meaningfully solving the problem that we have about 2 million excess jobs. That still isn't enough to reverse the strong wage growth that we've seen. And so the Fed will stay the course even if we get a disappointing number. Now, I think the number is likely, just like we saw with ADP that come, came in above consensus, I think this number is likely to come in above consensus, and I think the market will trade down on that. You mentioned the stronger dollar. I want to bring to your attention, Greg, uh, to Japan. The country's foreign reserves falling by a record $54 billion last month. That's according to official data released today. The reserve stood at just over $1.2 trillion at the end of September. That was the lowest amount since March of 2017. Japan, of course, we know is the world's second largest holder of of uh, U.S. debt, of foreign reserves. China being number one. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, as the dollar continues to strengthen, all of these central banks have had to intervene, and it's it's now pushing the reserves lower. Is that a concern? Well, yeah, it is a concern in parts of the world. Uh, it does probably solve a, a problem for the U.S. And so part of this is macro, right? Part of the reason why we're seeing these foreign reserves decline is the Fed action, right, that push that their, their rate hiking uh, program is decreasing the market value of fixed U.S. dollar-denominated fixed income instruments that they have on book already. Part of this is the dollar because that is decreasing the market value of those euro-denominated assets that they have on their balance sheet. But part of this is policy. The Bank of Japan has steadfastly refused to participate in the global rate hiking program. And as a result, the yen has declined 20 percent this year, which is what triggered their need to support the yen and contribute. It triggered one of the largest uh, buy yen, sell dollar programs uh, since 1998 at uh, 2.8 trillion yen. And so part of this is policy. And I think that they're going to have to choose. Are they going to continue to keep a low rate environment to support an economic recovery? Because at the end of the day, that mm -hmm. risks further capital flight from a, a crisis in confidence. Yep. And they risk wealth fleeing the country for dollar denominated assets. Greg, well said. Our actions certainly having an effect around the world. It's great to see you. Thanks for the lead up here great as we await for the job support. Greg Branch. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 